Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And back to our conversation, Dr. David Levy with us tonight. A look at gray matter. A neurosurgeon discovers the power of prayer, one patient at a time. As you develop the, the faith, the strength, the willingness to kind of take the risk, I guess we'd call it, doctor, and, and begin praying for your patients, what kind of a change have you seen come over, not just your practice, but your own personal relationship with God? Well, Craig, I think that, uh, that so many of us are burned out on medicine, and uh, I think it's, uh, I believe it's partially due to the fact that, well, we are to give glory to God, and I think so much of medicine is designed around getting glory for the physician, getting the referrals for the physician, and I certainly have uh, been guilty of that for many years, and so there's something about, um, as as we give glory to God, there, it, there is a change that occurs in me. I... I you know, just somehow the medicine takes on a different flavor. Um, you know, I can give you an example of a, uh, a patient named Ron who came in with uh, a, a problem in his, in the brain. He had a, a, a number of other problems. He was only 40 years old, and he had um, arthritis in his neck and his back. And so I, I began to ask him about um, his emotional health, and, and I asked him something for the first time, I'd never asked a patient this before. I said, uh, Ron, is there someone that you can't forgive? And he's an enormous man. He's this uh, Marine, an enormous guy. And so he sort of looked at me with this, you know, very bold face. And I'm on one of those little rolling stools. And so I'm starting to roll away from him, <laughs> rolling back to the wall. And finally he said, my mother. And I said, excuse me. I thought, you know, maybe his drill sergeant or his father. And he said, no, my mother. And I said, well, well Ron, what, what happened? And he said, well, my dad left when I was young, but my, uh, my mom, you know, shacked up with a number of different guys, and they would drink, and they would, uh, they would get in fights with her. And I got between uh, one of these men and my mother, and I got knocked down the stairs. And I, I stood up, and I said, come on, Mom, let's get out of here. And she said, no, I'm not leaving. And I've hated her. He said, I've hated her since that time. And I've... Um, and 30, that was 30 years ago. And so I said, wow, Ron, that's, that's what I'm looking for. But I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous. I'm going to ask you to forgive her. I said, uh, you know, I want to help you. Would you be willing to do that? So he, he paused for a few moments and then said, okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've hung on to this long enough. And so, you know, I led him through a, a prayer, a declaration of forgiveness um, for his mother and for this guy who uh, knocked him down the stairs. And, and then I said, Ron, um, you've forgiven. Is there anything that you need to be forgiven for? And he said, yeah. And so he, um, I said, well, who, who forgives sins? And he said, Jesus does. And so he, he began to confess his, you know, his sins. Because, you know, when, 
when people hurt us, we generally hurt others. That's just the way it happens. And so this man, you know, walked out of my office, you know, like a foot off the ground. He, he felt just emotionally and physically so much better. He still had to have the surgery, and the surgery went well. But even six months later, he was still joyful because I had taken the time. Now, the interesting thing, when he, when he stood up, uh, after I finished uh, the office visit, he said, uh, he said, I feel like calling my mother. Mm. And he hadn't talked to her in 30 years. And so he, he, they had a family reunion. I mean, you know, that little um, conversation had an incredible ripple effect through that whole family. Because his mother had started going back to church in New York, and he flew back there, and other members of the family were getting together. And, and, and I think as physicians, or even as friends, um, you know, we can, we can help each other forgive. I mean, if you listen to a friend or a colleague complain about their, you know, their ex or their boss or something, uh, and you've heard it a number of times, say, hey, I've heard that enough. Let, let's forgive. Uh, let's, let's get this. This is not good for you. This is not good for your health. And so I, I really emphasize in the book the, uh, the health benefits of forgiveness. Certainly, it, it's had not only an impact on your practice, but your own personal life, too. Mm. It, it has, yes. I, I've, I've certainly, um, obviously, have to practice what I preach. So I, I um, uh, you know, I have to forgive. I have to, um, you know, I actually have to make time in my schedule, usually lunch hour, to, to spend talking with patients, because oftentimes an office visit is not enough time. And so I, there's nothing I'd enjoy more than spending my lunch hour talking about a patient's spiritual concerns. It's, it's, a, it's just a beautiful time of my day. Um, and so, yeah, my, my life has changed, and I think, I think for the better. Well, we certainly appreciate you sharing with us tonight, Doctor. I mean, it, it just, just goes so nicely hand in glove with the topic we had in hour number one this evening of the importance of the church getting involved and impacting the world around us. And what easier, better place to start than to begin incorporating the power of prayer, not just in our lives privately, but also publicly as well, as Dr. Levy has done in his own practice. The book, Gray Matter, a neurosurgeon discovers the power of prayer, one patient at a time. The book published by Tyndale House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as, as well as through Amazon.com. And uh, once again, our thanks to its author, our guest today, Dr. David Levy. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We often hear stories about people that struggle with um, addictions of one sort or another, or in other cases, people that deal with um, depression that uh, is not of their own choosing, but particularly in terms of a, uh, a diagnosis of clinical depression where people sometimes, in spite of their best efforts, are fighting a, a, a monster that they just can't quite face and deal with. What does it mean? How do you address that? I think that uh, while we've made some great and significant strides in the mental health community in understanding what so-called clinical depression diagnosis is and how to treat it, how to deal with it, for a lot of us in the church, this is still kind of a big curiosity. It's a ministry. Um, joining me now is a gentleman who had to deal with this in terms of um, his um, ministry partner, being diagnosed with clinical depression that eventually ended up taking his life. 
He talks about the story in a not-so-typical journey of a Mennonite actor. The book is called Laughter is Sacred Space. Ted Schwartz, great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. Fascinating book and a lot of turns uh, and I think ways in which we can learn from your life story. Your um, your beginnings are kind of unique in the sense that uh, you were studying in seminary and uh, had full-on plans to become a, a pastor in the Mennonite community there, part of the, uh, I guess, what, the Pennsylvania Dutch community. Yeah, around that area, a little bit east of uh, what we generally consider to be the um, the classic Amish Mennonite uh, Pennsylvania Dutch area, a little bit east of that toward Philadelphia. Okay, so that that yeah. uh, general neck yeah. of the woods, that and uh, along the way, uh, it sounds like God had different designs than you did. Is it fair to say it that way? I think that's a pretty good way to say it. Yeah, I I I, I think that I I'm a person who. Um, uh, like many of us, I think we're confused by some of the directions that our lives seems to be taking, and, and uh, God's hand in that may may not be a very um, very visible at the time being. Makes an awful lot of sense uh, in retrospect. Um, I was supposed to be a, a, a traditional pastor in a pulpit, and uh, fell in love with theater while I was in seminary. And uh, I was an older student, a non traditional student, married with three kids, three kids, and. Uh, had started um, a path uh, toward being an actor and writing writing uh, plays, and uh, I had met a um, another quite talented comedic partner, um, Lee Eshelman, and we began doing comedy together, and then and started working on biblical story and trying to find where the humor was in that story, not not trying to make fun of something uh, by laying on the laughter on the outside. Um, I like to think of it as finding where the humanity and the humor connect and create uh, situations of humor out of, out of trying to uh, feel out a character from the inside out. How did your your community, Ted, your family, you mentioned it was kind of a, a non-traditional trajectory for you anyway, yeah. insofar as the fact that you were already married and with the family, and I understand that the congregation that was anticipating you to, to eventually uh, become their pastor was covering uh, your expenses and so forth, yeah. and, and, and yeah. you make this, what it would, from an outsider, it would appear to be just 180. How do you go from studying to become a, a traditional Mennonite pastor, very stodgy and serious, you know, as, as I guess some perspectives might be, to suddenly being a comedic actor on a stage, working with a uh, another partner in yeah. interpreting Scripture, bringing Scripture to life, Finding the humor again, not the ha ha. Let's make fun of it, a, a poke fun at it rather, yeah. but to see the humanity side, as you say, of it all. It just—it seems to be just two absolute opposite ends of the continuum. Well, I think at one level it really does feel that way, and my congregation back home was not very happy with me. Initially. I guess not. Huh? Uh, and my wife has been uh, extremely um, patient uh, over the years. As uh, anyone who, who starts their own business and knows that the pieces of of struggling to uh, to make make ends meet in that direction too, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that it makes an awful lot of sense um, because um, I think theater can be a wonderful metaphor for how we are supposed to function as human beings. Um, uh, to be a good actor means that you're completely present in the moment. Uh, you you have empathy. Uh, you care about another person. That's the only way you can feel like uh, you are connecting to one another on stage. There's a great deal of humility and vulnerability that happens when you're an actor on stage. And it makes a lot, a, a lot of sense um, at one level. Uh, and also, um, it's storytelling. And, and story stories remain one of, if not the best way to communicate truth 
and uh, to grab people's emotions and where their hearts are is to tell stories. Does it make um, it and, easier to to see other perspectives too? And I ask that question, Ted, because let's face it: when you're when you're an actor, you're you're essentially becoming someone that you're not, and you're attempting yeah, you, to convince yeah. the audience that you you are this person whom you're not really. Yes, and when absolutely. you get into that position, does it allow you to see things from a different perspective? Is, is that is that how you maybe yeah. eventually were able to say, no, this full-time pastoring thing in a Mennonite church, no, that's not exactly what I'm called to do. <laughs> I, I think that was a great deal of it. I think it's part of why it felt like home to me. I felt like I was finally where I was supposed to be. I think I would have been uh, perhaps a decent pastor, uh, but there's a good chance that I would have been a very frustrated pastor. Uh, theater allowed me to find places where I was able to use the gifts that I think I was given uh, much more fully. Um, and I think you're exactly right. You have to learn how um, to care about another person uh, to be able to fully adapt on stage and to be convincing that you're, you're someone else. Um, theater and acting is a wonderful paradox of pretending to be someone else and being completely holy who you are. Mm. The best actors are the ones that just open themselves up and let you see what's inside. And, and that is why we connect to people that, that we feel like are good actors, because we can feel them being completely honest. So to, uh, to, be, con- to, be, to be convincing to those of us that are on the other side of the stage or the screen, as the case may yeah. be, yeah. Um, you, you have to take on, so to speak, enough of this character and demonstrate enough understanding and and sympathy, maybe to the point of empathy for who yeah. this person is, maybe the plight that they are facing to to be thoroughly convincing. And I'm wondering, did did all of that experience help make it easy for you along the way in trying to make sense out of um, the 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 horrific challenge that Lee was facing with a diagnosis of clinical depression? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I, I think that um, perhaps so. I, I'm not sure uh, an empathetic person will be drawn, I think, to, to, to acting in the arts, uh, but it will also teach you. Uh, I think that's probably the case. It, it, it's, you know, it was a complicated relationship in many ways. We were, we were best friends, um, but we were trying to negotiate this business as well as creatively. And anytime anybody, uh, anyone tries to create something together, be it writing or writing music together. They know that there's certain tensions on, on, what, on, what, on what that means. And um, sometimes best friends shouldn't go into business, and sometimes they should. For us, it worked really well, um, the illness notwithstanding. Um, you, need, you spend an awful lot of time together when you have a traveling company. Uh, sometimes we spent more time with uh, one another than we did our wives. We used to joke about it being uh, our second marriage for each of us. So um, I think that was part of it. I, I didn't know a lot about mental uh, illness in terms of depression and bipolar illness at all before we met Lee. Um, and so it was a very much of a learning process. You, you, you try to have as much empathy as you can for the struggles that they're going through, but sometimes life has to, life has to be lived, and um, everything can't stop around um, if there's a business to run, there's a family to run, his wife. You know, they're raising a family as well. Um, so, yes, that, that's very much the case, uh, that it was helpful. But I think any struggle like that that you go together, there's going to be ups and downs with that. And um, uh, 
And, and it sounds like there were in this case. I mean, you're you're sure. watching this happening. You're trying to understand what's happening, and yet at a level. I mean, I, I guess it's it's not as easy as it might seem to be when we say, "Well, just try to get into the other person's head, walk a mile in their shoes." This is <laughs> this is it takes it a little bit further than that, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it there's only so much you can go. Um, uh, I think it was the illness that that made um, uh, I wouldn't call it a barrier, but there's some things that it's it's impossible to know how someone else is feeling when they're when they're struck with an illness like that. Um, my own depression that I felt uh, after Lee's death and, and uh, trying to figure out what was next and, and what did it all mean and the grief that goes along with that. Uh, I remember thinking a couple of times. I said, uh, I, I know what this feels like to 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 try and function on a daily basis with something that is much worse. Um, I don't know how people do it. Um, That gave me a little bit of insight, but I want to be very clear that it was nowhere anywhere close to to what you would have gone through on a regular basis where simply getting out of bed feels like it's the biggest struggle you're going to go through that day. Yeah, I mean, we're in a season, for example, this time of year when a lot of folks struggle with varying degrees of depression because... It's for a first major holiday with a loved one who was passed on. Uh, there's there's some sense of loss in life, and uh, all of a sudden the holidays don't seem to mean as much as they used to. And there may be folks listening to our conversation right now saying, you know, uh, Ted, Craig, I'm there right now. Uh, I struggle with getting out of bed in the morning. I'm not quite sure how to get myself motivated uh, it's every fiber within my being to get up, get dressed, and go to work and try to put on a happy face when I don't feel like doing any of that. Um, what does all of this mean? How do I address all of it? Um, joining me today in the conversation, Ted Schwartz. Um, Ted, as we mentioned earlier, is a Mennonite actor um, who talks about life after uh, his creative partner took his own life uh, following a, a multi-year battle with bipolar illness uh, that he eventually succumbs to the disease. And uh, how do we deal with varying degrees of, um, be it depression to an, uh, one extreme uh, to, to outright uh, mental illness on another? We'll get back to more of our insights today right after an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation today is with Mennonite actor Ted Schwartz. The book is called Laughter is Sacred Space, a not-so-typical journey of a Mennonite actor. This journey from studying to become a full-time pastor to discovering the the arts and then moving in a ministry direction that way, and then the diagnosis that we mentioned earlier of your partner, Lee, struggling with a clinical diagnosis of of depression to the point of being bipolar. We talked earlier, Lee, about uh, folks being depressed around the holidays, and that certainly can be a challenge. But Lee's uh, Lee's disease went much deeper than that, didn't it? Yes, it did. It was it was the kind that. Um, well, I describe it at one times. It's it's the uh, it's the constant companion. It's the monster that hides not just under the bed but around every corner. It's it's part of uh, part of every day. It's part of. Um, it's uh, I, I call it sometimes the demon that sits on the shoulder and whispers in your ear. Mm. Um, it, it, it's hard to um, it's hard to really articulate some of the issues that, that 
be seen to, to deal with. Medication is an important part of anybody's treatment, medication, and therapy. Um, but that can, uh, most of those have, uh, at least at some level, um, medication, I mean, side effects that affect also uh, who you are as a person. And, and it, uh, it, it can be frustrating because you don't think you, you are who you uh, are at the core of your being. Um, for some, it, it becomes um, uh, a spiritual dilemma, and um, I really don't think it, it, it should be. Um, people cast themselves in, 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 in being distanced from God because they have this particular illness, and, and I think it's a, uh, it's a horrific, um, I'm not sure I'd call it a mistake, a misnomer about, about what it is. How, um, how did you discover, how did you first find out about Lee's passing? Well, it, in, in, many, in many cases, apparently, uh, in young men in their early, uh, early to mid-20s, it can, it can uh, surface. Um, so I met Lee when he was 23, and uh, so there were certain, certain hints of it before that. And uh, I was in full-time school, uh, in uh, finishing college, and then going into seminary, so I had a certain amount of um, life that I was doing there with a family of three boys, um, uh, very young, four, four, two, and six months when I started school. Uh, so I and my wife were, were really engrossed in that, so it wasn't until Lee and I began uh, to do a bit more work together and started seeing each other as, as, as friends and friends of the family. He was still single at the time. So it was within two years that it started to surface. And, um, um, I mean, everybody has points where they're despondent, um, but they usually see that there's, uh, oftentimes we can see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we, we help, we talk to people, we we talk to pastors or we talk to friends, we talk to counselors, we get professional help and you can find your way through it. Uh, for me, it just seemed to be uh, uh, something that that with yo-yo, the manic manic parts were were exhilarating and scary at the same time because he was tremendously creative. Uh, he was a, he was a visual artist and he was a, a wonderful actor at the same time. So he'd be wonderfully creative at those times. Um, I think uh, a twenty to thirty year uh, struggle with this um, can wear you down. Um, so where that the highs are no longer very high, uh, but the lows continue to be low. Um, uh, that's what I, I felt like I've experienced with Lee. And, um, it, 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 at the point where he, he had taken his life, it didn't feel like it was too, in, in my mind, tremendously different than any other events over the previous 10 to 15 years. And, you know, we often hear that, that yeah. we look at these the circumstances immediately surrounding a person's decision to take their own life. Yeah. And you say, well, you know, the day before, the day yeah. of, they, I saw them that morning. They seemed to be quite normal. Yeah. yeah, a couple of things had happened the day before that might have added a bit to the stress, but it didn't seem That's to be right. anything over the the top, anything extraordinary. But you mentioned yeah. something, uh, and uh, maybe it was just in, in quick passing, but I think profound observation, Ted, and that is the idea that this tends to wear you down after a time, that this is not a single event, but layer upon layer upon layer. Am I right? Exactly. Exactly. We we had attended a concert the night before, uh, about two hours away with another mutual friend. and had a wonderful time. It was guys' night out. We we had a, a great time, and then the next that morning uh, we set up for a show. We were due to do two performances locally, Friday and Saturday night, and we set up on Thursday morning. 
Um, so all of those things seemed very familiar. Um, there was, I, I knew he was agitated, or, or I should say he was, he was uh, anxious. Um, that, that didn't seem to be anything tremendously different. And, um, you know, in, in, in almost 20 years on the road, we missed um, one show for a snowstorm and um, a second half of a show because I fell and, and uh, con- contuded my arm. Uh, on the edge of the stage, but in 20 years, that's the only shows we've ever missed. So it never entered my mind that we would miss a show um, for this particular reason. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. Uh, with us today is actor Ted Schwartz. A look at his book, Laughter is Sacred Space. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation today. Ted Schwartz is with us. His book, Laughter is Sacred Space, newly published, by the way. And uh, you can, of course, order a copy through the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. And, uh, Ted, is the book available also on your website? It is, TedAndCompany.com. And company all spelled out. Correct. The and and company all spelled out. Ted, I'm curious. How did you get word of... Lee's decision? Uh, I was making supper and uh, I got a phone call from a mutual friend who was a neighbor uh, and it's not somebody you are not, you know, it's a friend, but it's not somebody I expect to hear from uh, around that time. And uh, she said, um, the words is someone with you and those are never good words oh. to hear and uh, said, you need to come over. Um, it didn't tell me exactly why, but it, it didn't take a lot of imagination to to uh, figure that out. In the moment, so, uh, we say we're shocked, we're surprised, but thinking back on it, is it fair to say that there were enough signs there that you might have seen some of this coming? I, I think the words I used, and, and I think a number of other people used the same words for similar situation, is you're you're surprised but not shocked, or yeah. you're shocked but not surprised. Yeah. Um, it's those kind of those kind of issues that um, um, that I think anyone who's who's been touched by it at all, uh, if you know, from a very close or personal basis, would, would feel familiar. That's that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. On the backside, what would you say that you've learned from this? I mean, we look at these tragedies, and I know we go through the, gee, what should I, what could I have done differently? What could I have said? How could we have intervened or helped? All of those questions immediately flood through your mind, and and we we struggle with. But then, as we try to make sense of it all, we try to find the uh, what do you say the the proverbial silver lining in this cloud, yeah. things of that sort. Uh, I have started to uh, be in conversation with a young man of a similar age that Lee was who was struggling with a similar issue. He's very talented. He's not an actor, but we've uh, done some work together with uh, from the technical um, video aspect of it again. And I think it's to be there, to be listening as much as possible, to be empathetic as much as possible, to encourage them to see professional help. Uh, if medication is part of uh, a prescribed um, um, Regimen that that you listened uh, that you listen and uh, what what happens many times is is especially from people who have um, perhaps a spiritual or religious background uh, maybe you're a Christian and you feel like this is not something my my well being should not be dependent upon something that comes in a bottle and we 
and they sometimes um, they go off medication. Um, that that can be very dangerous. Um, that's often a trigger point um, for a, a deeper crash, um, which um, can have similar results. Not always, but it could. Um, what I've learned, oh my. Um, I think what I've, what I've learned mostly, uh, you would say, is that uh, the depth of, of of care and the depth of spirit within the community that I'm in right now is much, much deeper than I had imagined that it might be. Um, what I've learned about dealing with someone with this particular issue is that um, um, you can you can be there as much as you as you can, um, knowing that there are other forces, there are other illnesses that you you just can't fix. Um, no uh, no amount of talking or listening that I that I could do would change that. Um, And, and and what you said, I think there's perhaps significant because so often we get into the well. If I just said this, or somehow that somehow we we convince ourselves that we can talk somebody out yeah. of clinical depression. This is not an individual who simply is having a difficult time, sort of uh, shall we say, connecting right. the dots in life. And uh, one or one or two good lessons from a slightly older American will set them no. on the right path. No. Uh, this goes much. <laughs> much deeper than that and, 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 and maybe the efforts in trying to convince ourselves that we could have said something that would have changed it all miraculously uh, is, is, is really torturing ourselves at a level, isn't it? I think it is, and that's, that's the one thing that I continue to, uh, to struggle with. I actually talked to another, another um, uh, radio station this, this morning um, uh, and I've started, I, I've written a, a, a one-man show based on the book um, based on my experience, not just with Lee, but a large portion of it is the relating to Lee and the discovery of art and theater together and, and, uh, and his suicide and what that meant. And that um, it's not uh, original with me by any means, but the mourning is, uh, the act of mourning is, a, is, is just that, an action. You choose to mourn, you choose to do the things that are self-care. Um, it's a decision that you make. Uh, grief is completely different in that you don't know when it's going to show up. And um, it it and and I I say in the play that I, I made the uh, the sarcastically a brilliant I say it sarcastically a brilliant decision to not make a decision to mourn but instead to work harder to recreate myself and my business as, a, as an acting company and then to fight the grief and the ways that we fight the grief sometimes is not always but sometimes is to deny deny existence by convincing yourself that you didn't care that much, that it didn't matter that much. It's the way that we try and protect ourselves. And it's a coping just, mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. It's a dead end. It's, it's uh, what I say in the plays. It's a bit like taking a rancid piece of meat and throwing it behind the couch and hope no one notices. <laughs> um, you know it's going to catch up to you sooner or later, but you just try and hide it. Yeah. Um, and, and that... Um, I think it's the biggest thing that I've learned is that um, um, <laughs> that that's not a very wise thing to do. Does this also um, for change you? Does it force you to become more 
forward looking and by that I mean oftentimes we'll get stuck in the past on this thing. Mm. Uh, well, there was a suicide in my family many years ago, and boy, the amount of time that, that many of us spent on all the what-ifs and gee whizzes yeah. and so forth. And yet, I think instead of, you know, while there is a time of mourning and certainly at the time of grief, then yeah. to say, okay, instead of channeling our en- energies into what we can never change because it's done, what yeah. can we do moving forward to be more sensitive, more caring, more empathetic, put more into life, get more out of it, and, 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 and maybe make, make things better for somebody else, if not for them, for somebody else. I think that's, I think that's a, a great sentiment. It is astoundingly hard to do when you're in the middle of it. Um, I think that's ultimately where we need to end up, and I think, um, I can't speak freely, obviously, but I think that's where he would want, want me to be. Um, I, I, I think what, what, what truncated my, my, my recovery, uh, and healing out of that is I, um, I chose not to recognize the deep grief that was there and moved forward a bit too quickly. Um, part of that, part of what happened when he died, it's not simply losing a friend, it was losing the business as well. So if I was going to maintain my company, I had to, um, in essence, um, recreate uh, an entire um, inventory. Um, so I just began writing and wrote eight shows in two years, and ten shows in three years, um, to to create a new identity, to create a new brand. Because um, most people that knew us as a company assumed that the that the company was gone, and so it was coupled. It, it wasn't just losing my best friend; it was losing. Um, it was losing a source of income. It was losing, uh, you know, all <laughs> the inventory, as it were, uh, was intellectual material that was uh, stuck in our heads. That was the inventory. Um, so uh, I probably moved a little too quickly, but I think overall your sentiment is correct. There's very little that can happen in moving um, moving back, but it's, it's a difficult thing to fight guilt. Um, guilt is such a powerful um piece that, that moves forward. Uh, anger is another negative energy that, that is easy to hang on to. Um, and both of those can be debilitating toward moving forward. And a combination of guilt and anger, boy, it just keeps you spinning. Yeah, um, and it can be terribly uh, paralyzing, too, in the end game. Ted, we appreciate the time and the candor today. I know it's a, a painful topic to to relive in a sense, and yet out of your pain and your, your insights, you offer us... Uh, Oddly enough, a lot of the pastoral care that you set out to to prepare yourself to do in the first place. Isn't it amazing the way the Lord brings things full circle? Ted Schwartz, Laughter is Sacred Space, the not-so-typical journey of a Mennonite actor. And the new book, as we mentioned, is newly published by Herald Press and available through Ted's website at tedandcompany.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. On AM 
online on app. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.